Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Dorkside Toys. At DorksideToys.com, you can get the latest Star Wars toys, as well as Marvel, G.I. Joe, The Walking Dead, and more. Run by toy fans, you can be assured your order will be given great attention and packed with care. Sign up to their social channels now for stock alerts, reviews, and toy and movie news. DorksideToys.com. You'd be a dork not to shop there. Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, hosted by Marjorie and Arnie, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Hello and welcome to the first new episode of Star Wars Action News of 2015. This is Marjorie. And this is Arnie. And 2015. I know. It's a big year in so many ways. This year will be the 10th anniversary of Star Wars Action News. I can't believe that. Can you? It's also the 10th anniversary of Episode 3. Yes. The 35th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back. Wow. Wow. That's kind of crazy. We're old. And the 20th year of modern Hasbro action figures. 20 years ago in 1995, the figure line was relaunched. We're going to be talking about that this episode. But first, I want to start off with a little bit of an announcement, a self-promo if I may. Our sister podcast, Now Playing Podcast, is doing something never before done. A live movie review on Tuesday, February 17th at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, Stuart Jacob and I are going to be reviewing the new movie, Kingsman The Secret Service, starring Colin Firth and Samuel L. Jackson, directed by Kick-Ass and X-Men First Class director Matthew Vaughn, based on the comic by Mark Miller. We're going to be having some giveaways, a live chat room, a Q&A after, and some special announcements for now playing, so if you can... Please schedule some time to head to nowplayingpodcast.com that night and join us for the live podcast. But now to oscillate all the way from a live podcast to a pre-recorded podcast. Being the 20th anniversary of modern Star Wars action figures, and given that Marjorie has some work travel this week, not a lot of time, we thought rather than do a full new episode, we're going to just do something we've never done before. We're going to actually air a repeat. Wow, now I feel like all official like NBC. We're going into the archives and bringing you an early episode of Star Wars Action News from November 20th, 1995. We hope you don't think us lazy bringing this episode from 1995. We have remastered it because back then the QuickTime audio formats allowed just weren't very clear. So we did remaster from the original tapes and stay tuned after we will be back to kind of look back at how things have changed since 1995. Welcome to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, hosted by Marjorie and Arnie, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Hey, what's happening? Welcome to another episode of Star Wars Action News. This is Marjorie. Sub B, this is Arnie, coming at you at a blazing 14-4 baud. And we got a fly episode for you this week. I found some mad figures at the store. I can't believe it. It's the bomb. I know. I totally sent you for the George Foreman girl because I'm super excited about grilling inside the house. And you came back with all these cool Star Wars figures. It's like being five years old again. It is. I mean, I've been collecting Star Wars now, not counting my youth, for three years. And I know that seems like forever. I mean, since freshman year, I've been collecting. But there hasn't been much out there to collect. Yeah, I got the books 
And I got that X-Wing video game with my Flight Master joystick that just rocks. Bought a sound card this year for it, allowing me to record this show through the microphone that came with it. And I got all the micro machines that have been coming out. Well, I've been buying up these Bendems that have been coming out the last few years. I love them. They're like Gumby Star Wars. Those things are sad pathetic, yo. But it's all we got, yo. That's true. They're quite a jagged little pill to swallow, though, for action figures. Don't bring Alanis into this. But what I really want is to go back to the toys of my youth and have action figures. And, man, it's hard enough to find old figures in any condition. The only place I can see those old toys are at this store in the Decatur Mall, and they want, like, $20, $30 for one of those old figures. And those are for the ones on the card. I mean, I can't afford that. No, that's kind of crazy expensive. It's, like, way hella expensive for us right now. And... I've been reading in Alt.StarWars that there were rumors that Kenner, which is now a subsidiary of Hasbro, might be doing some new figures. And they did come out with those reproduced old figures and those four packs that had the tops cars, and that was nice. But today's the day, after months of seeing them on pegs, I finally broke down and bought the new figures. Because when Kenner came out with these figures, I got to admit, I was pretty disappointed. I'd been looking forward to new figures. I'd kind of hope they'd just re-release the old ones since I can't afford those. But if they weren't going to do that, I mean, have you seen those new McFarlane figures based on Spawn? Those things are the bomb. Those are so awesome. I love those. Yeah, I kind of hoped we might be getting some Star Wars figures like that. I think keep dreaming. Maybe that's something in the future. Yeah, just with all that detail and the larger scale. I mean, those things are like little statues. So when the new Kenner figures came out, I mean, I found out because I was just going to Jewel Osco and doing some grocery shopping and found them there. But first of all, I had to pass due to the price. I mean, these figures are $4.99 a piece. Can you imagine paying $5 a piece for action figures? That was something hard for me to come around to. I was used to paying far, far less the last time I bought toys. I know, but everything's going up in prices. Come on. You're just going to have to, you know, kind of go with the flow. If you want to click Star Wars figures, that's what you're going to have to pay. Second of all, just looking at them, I wasn't able to bring myself to it. But last week, my mom gave me an early Christmas gift. My sister needed her floors redone, and my mom's big upon giving everybody the exact same. My sister needed $500 to do her floors, so I got a $500 check, and I, I had nothing in mind. I never had money and not had a place where I wanted to spend it. And so I went out this past weekend, and I bought all the Star Wars toys. I bought all the figures, I bought the X-Wing, I bought the Millennium Falcon, the Landspeeder, the TIE Fighter, and all nine figures. So I have a complete Star Wars collection now. I don't know where to put it with the Millennium Falcon things. These are kind of big. I don't know that I have room in my apartment for it, but I'll put it on top of my TV or something. That thing has some space. So I thought on this week's show, we'll take a break from talking Micro Machines and Bendoms and actually look at these new Kenner action figures. And I find it funny because it's Kenner, but they're really a Tonka Corporation, a subsidiary of Hasbro per the card. Wow, that's kind of weird. This company Hasbro is like buying up stuff. They're almost kind of like Big Brother now. Now the card, I find it funny that it's like they call it the power of the force. Because if you remember when we were growing up, all of those figures were based on movie lines, but after Return of the Jedi came out, they had the line called Power of the Force, and it came with the coins and things, so it's almost like the line never ended. This is just like the next step. But I've noticed in the Usenet groups, they're kind of referring to it as Power of the Force 2, so that way you can differentiate between the figures that came out 10 years ago and the figures that are coming out today. That makes sense. I mean, if they ever put out any more Star Wars figures, that classification is going to be important because, I mean, we may get Power of the Force again, and it might be three. We may have four. Who knows? But I don't know that this card really called to me either. There's nothing really that says Star Wars about it other than the giant logo, but it's got this big orange stripe. And I think that's supposed to be a lightsaber. I think it's Vader's lightsaber because see the Vader is in the corner of the card, his head. And if you're looking at it far away, you can't really tell it's Vader. It's very subtle. But when you get up close, it's Darth Vader. Yeah, maybe it's supposed to be a blaster bolt. My problem is I don't remember anyone with an orange lightsaber or even 
a red that shade. Vader's lightsaber was pretty clearly more of a pinkish red. You're kind of being a dweeb now. I might be, but... Well, they seem to have updated the card back, and it's more modern. It's not the rectangle it used to be. This has kind of got a cutout Darth Vader head ever so slightly. They upgraded the logo, made it a little bit more modern. It's chrome. It is chrome. They switched the figure in the picture on this new Power of the Force line. So on the old card back, the figure was on the left. On the new one, the figure is on the right. Oh, yeah, it's been so long since I've seen any of those that I can't even remember. I know that there's a book out there or something that has pictures of them. I might have to go pick that up. Well, and they've shrunk the picture, too, where the picture is a lot smaller. I mean, if you look at the old Power of the Force, you can easily spot the character because you had this giant picture that filled like three quarters of the card. And now we've got like a little tiny stylized picture that tells us who the character is. It's got what accessories it comes with because these come with accessories. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, the old ones did, too. But... There's a bit more here. And there's also a nice little thing on the back where for $9.95, you can get the Star Wars Insider for one year, and then you're going to get a quarterly merchandise catalog, Arnie. Well, Merry Christmas. I've already subscribed us. I was going to say, this sounds kind of dangerous because you get an exclusive membership kit, and it's the Star Wars fan club with all this. So that's kind of cool. You know what I like about the card backs? is they have fact files on them. And that's really cool. I mean, it's not like I don't watch these on VHS all the time, but to read these blurbs and they're cut out so I can actually cut these off the card and keep them in like a recipe box or something. Yeah, they're perfect, like three by five recipe card size. So you can put them in a little phyllo fax and keep them and refer back to them. And I love the photos they have there. It's not like they just took still frames from the movies and used them. They went back and found some old publicity photos or something to put on here. I mean, these are photos that I haven't seen in a long time in order to get it. And I have to say, the picture of Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford on the front of these cars is probably a lot of what caught my eye. I mean, I've been eyeing these figures and standing there in the toy aisle of the grocery store for so many months trying to decide if I wanted to get these figures. But again, $5 a figure, I just couldn't afford them. And I knew I couldn't bear to just have one or two. So now that I've got them all, I mean, that's pretty exciting. But there was something else that kind of held me back from buying these. Let's take a look at each of these figures. And we'll start with Luke Skywalker. As he is called on the card, it's Luke Skywalker with grappling hook blaster and lightsaber. Or as I call him, he Luke. It is a little bit of a He-Man looking. He, he's got a very pectoral chest going on. Yeah, I know like the last time I really bought toys was He-Man figures and like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles type stuff. The muscular look must be in for toys, but that is not Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill could go to a personal trainer for a year and not have that physique, that barrel chest and the giant arms and the no neck. I think what's making it so He-Man-like is the blonde page boy haircut as well, coupled with the muscles. It's pretty He-Man. You could, you know, give him a little sword and there you go. Yeah, and he is showing so much cleavage that if this top were a little bit more open, he could be an extra in Showgirls. All that said, from the neck up, they kind of have Mark Hamill's vacant blank expression that he had during the whole movie. I used to be in love with Tatooine Luke. I might still be in love with Tatooine Luke. I don't think he had a blank expression. It was a look of bewilderment because so many things are going on in his life. His aunt and uncle got killed and burned up. Wouldn't that kind of mess with your world? Yeah, I guess a little bit. But I think that that looks enough like Luke, but... The rest of it, I mean, they did pretty good. They got, like, the leg wraps that make his boots and the belt there with the silver on it. And these are even more articulated than the figures I used to buy as a kid. I mean, I'm used to only five points of articulation, but here, they've gone all out and given us six. Six is pretty extravagant. I mean, come on. This is perhaps the... I'm going to, well, they are the most articulated Star Wars figures, but this is very exciting because who knows what the future holds. Yeah. I mean, you not only get arms and legs and neck, but waist articulation. I think that's pretty cool. That is really cool. Now, one other thing that kind of pulled me back from buying these figures, though, were the accessories. Luke, Vader, and Ben 
all come with lightsabers almost as tall as they are. Wow, that's like a millimeter below the top of Luke's head. Yeah, these lightsabers, again, the toy comparative I have, one of the last toy lines I bought regularly was the real Ghostbusters, where they had those proton packs and these really long streams coming out of them. And I'm like, this is almost like a proton pack beam instead of a lightsaber. It's huge. The length was ridiculous. Now, I've started seeing popping up in stores, though, that Hasbro is changing them. They have a somewhat shorter saber, but it's coming in the same card. So it's like what they're calling in the Usenet group, the short saber in the long tray. So it's going to kind of wobble around in the package? It's taped down. Okay. They use scotch tape or some form of transparent cellophane tape. But now just brand new starting to hit are the short sabers in the short tray that are actually slightly shorter than the short sabers in the long tray. So we've got three different lengths of lightsaber going on, depending on which release of figure you get. This is all going to get very confusing if you ever get your sabers mixed up. I've gone ahead and bought a couple different ones because they're really all over the place. And I just went ahead and opened them all and I'll throw away the extra figures or something. I just want to make sure I have lightsabers that don't look so silly with my figures. So I was happy I was able to get a Luke Skywalker with a lightsaber that doesn't look like he's going to cut holes in the ceiling when he ignites it. I'm a little disappointed, though, because one of the things I loved as a kid were the lightsabers that came out of the arm and you could do the igniting action. And here, you just they hold it in their hand. Well, since you bought some extras, though, why couldn't you just take the longer ones and cut off the lightsaber parts so you could just have lightsaber hilts then? I could, but I... I'm a collector. I got to yeah, keep all the parts. True. These are going to be worth a lot of money someday. So I need to make sure I keep them all together. The lightsaber itself, I'll jump ahead. I mean, I'm a little impressed that they've gone ahead and sculpted different handles between the Luke saber and the Vader saber. They're all one color, but Vader's is a black lightsaber and Luke's is a silver lightsaber. And they're not even just different colors of the same mold. The buttons are in different places. We have such amazing technology in 1995 that we can do stuff like this. I mean, just think, we're on the internet using our phone line and look what they can do with lightsaber hilts now for toys. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe I get a whole four hours of internet a month. I know. The other accessory Luke comes with I don't remember this from the movie, his grappling hook blaster. I remember him having a grappling hook that he pulled off his belt and used to swing. I don't remember it looking like a harpoon gun. Didn't he like take it off his belt and like swoop it around his head and it landed where it needed to be with precision and skill? Yeah, I guess that's not as fun as a steroid Luke with a harpoon gun. Well, maybe it's because of a safety issue. You don't want to have a rope on a toy? But the figure itself, I mean, I love what they've done with these first figures. And according to the news group, there are more coming. But these are all from Star Wars, not from Empire, not from Jedi, just from Star Wars, where we've got Tatooine Luke. I mean, these are like coming out in the same order they did from 1977. So I wonder if they'll do all the 92 figures that they did back then in the same kind of order. I mean, yeah, we're not getting the Tusken Raider in this or the Jawa yet. But we've got here Luke Skywalker in his Tatooine outfit, and that's pretty cool. And of course, where Luke goes, so follow the droids, C-3PO and R2-D2. Now, C-3PO comes with no accessories, but he doesn't need to. This one, of all the figures, is the one that feels worth $5 to me, because he is vac-metalized and so reflective, just like the 3PO I had as a kid. This is a fantastic 3PO. He's so pretty. He's so shiny. I love him. My only problem is, I remember when I was a kid, I felt a little bit ripped off because I bought a C-3PO figure and then they came with a break apart C-3PO figure that looked exactly the same except its limbs popped out. And I think they should have just jumped right to that. I have a bad feeling that Hasbro is going to double dip us here because this isn't a break apart C-3PO. So obviously at some point they're going to make me buy another one where the limbs come off. But for what it is, I mean, I'm really liking the metallic look. I think they did a great job painting the wires in the stomach. And this one, I don't know how you'd make a muscular C-3PO. But I'm glad they didn't try. This looks like a movie figure. If I were to buy only one figure from this entire wave, it would be that one that I could put on my computer desk in my dorm. 
But you'd also have to buy R2-D2 to go with him. R2-D2 is my second favorite figure in this wave. He's got this shiny dome. It's vac metalized where it's silver. He's got his pretty blue. He's got his three legs. And the third leg retracts. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I think the R2 looks really good as well. I think he's a little bit bigger. I mean, in comparison to scale, he's bigger than my old R2 was compared to the 3PO. But I think it actually might be more accurate to the film because you can get that pose of C-3PO putting his hand down on R2 with the I have decided we shall stay here kind of line. And they work out real well. And yeah, these are probably the best figures they'll ever do. I also love the colors they picked for him. I mean, they just really feel movie accurate, and they even went through the detail of painting a couple of the wires on his feet there. Yeah, I think this is probably one of the best R2s ever to come out. I think they could do better someday. My big problem with him is, yeah, he's got that third leg, but it comes flat down. Well, he never stood with all three legs flat down in the movie. That would be ridiculous. Yes. It was when he was rocking back at the 45-degree angle and you get him kind of chilling back like that, and his foot just kind of kicks out to the front. It doesn't hit the ground flat. So I think that that foot, maybe someday, I mean, he only has four points of articulation counting the retractable leg. If they ever get an R2-D2 up to six like these other figures have, maybe they could add a pivot there so this actually rests on the ground right. Well, could you imagine if someday that they would go and make the R2-D2 from Jabba's Palace. I'm sure we'll get a rocket firing Boba Fett in this line, as well as a lightsaber firing R2. I mean, they'll redo all the stuff yeah, they did. Yeah, I mean, with the trays where he can go and be the little waiter and things like that. Oh, they'll never get to that. That's too obscure. Yeah, I guess it is. So if the droids are the best of the heroes, unfortunately, Han and Chewbacca suffer from the same kind of anabolic use that went on with Luke here. They're juicing. Han looks like Lorenzo Lamas or something, doesn't he? Like he should be on Dynasty as like the sexy hunk or something. He could be on that new show Hercules as he looks. Yes, he could. He very much looks like he could be very Herculean. In fact, that figure looks more like Kevin Sorbo than it does Harrison Ford. Yes, he's got a very, very broad chest, although he's showing no clavage. No, that's for Luke. In an itty bitty tiny waist. He skipped leg day too. He did skip leg day the gym forever. It's not a great likeness, but it's Han Solo if he did steroids and worked out a lot. It's probably the best they can do. I'm sure that as this line goes on, they'll get better. But again, this is really the classic Han Solo with the black vest and the blue pants. And I mean, I can't imagine the detail that went into painting this dashed red line down his pants. I mean, the old figures didn't have that. And his head is properly proportioned, unlike the old figures, where it looked like either it was inflated or he was at the end of Beetlejuice. But we can't have everything because he's got a super tiny waist and a big chest. He's kind of like a funnel, how he starts off broad at the shoulders and then gets narrower as it goes down. But they have a holster here. Now I realize it's beyond the realm of possibility, but I wish that I could put his gun in that holster. It's just kind of molded on there. But he does have two guns and he has two hands, so we can get him holding both. He comes with a giant blaster as well as his standard pistol. Is this the one he stole from the Stormtrooper on the Death Star? I think so, but when we get to the Stormtrooper figure, you'll see that he has a different weapon. But what this just says is, with heavy assault rifle and blaster. And this blaster, I love the shape of it. It's really taken me back to when I was a kid 12 years ago and playing with the old Han Solo figure. It had this specific gun. I was always really particular about remembering which gun went with which figure. And this is the same similar shape with that rounded handle on the gun. I may even get out a, just a little bit of chrome paint myself and paint the tip, though, because Han's gun had that very noticeable silver tip. But yeah, he's just overly muscular. It looks nothing like Harrison Ford, but when I put him on top of my television, I'm probably not going to be looking that close. It's got the vest, and in context, I can tell it's Han Solo. I don't remember Han wearing this kind of putty-colored shirt, though. I thought it was more white. I thought it was white also, and I will say that while Luke's Tatooine outfit 
is very revealing. I always thought Han was the one showing his chest, and this looks rather demure. But the worst of them all is Chewbacca. Have you ever had a dog that when you weren't looking went and gotten your medicines and you had to take him to the vet for that because it was a horrible thing? Well, it's like Chewbacca went and got in their anabolic steroids and took an overdose because Chewbacca, I've been rereading Splinter of the Mind's Eye just while I wait for the next Star Wars book to come out and they describe how strong and muscular he is. But in the movies, he always looked tall and again, here we got that barrel chest and everything on him where he just looks a little bit too muscular. He does look a little too muscular, but he doesn't have the same barrel chest that Han has. And for as tall as he was in the movie, he's barely a quarter head taller than Han. Yeah, I remember that scene in the movie where Han leaned up against him and was well below his neck. And yeah, here, way, way too short. It almost looks like somebody threw their belt over the yeti instead of actually chewbacca it looks like a man wearing a bear suit yeah he ends up looking just like that footage of bigfoot that you see the patterson gimlet footage yeah i mean this could easily be a villain of the week on next week's x-files yeah it totally could and unlike the others it looks like they tried to make him with six points of articulation he's got the waist and he's got the legs and the arms but because of how they did his neck beard, you can't turn his head at all. I don't even know if it's supposed to. It's obviously a different piece from the rest. But if he had short hair, you'd complain. If he had the Bob or the Rachel, you'd totally complain. At least he's not the unibody like the old one was. Although the, the old Chewbacca was cute. He had that smile and he kind of looked like a Sesame Street character. This one looks like he'd frighten children on Sesame Street. Yeah, yeah, he kind of does. And again, back 10 years ago, I was so into which weapons came with which figure. I was so glad to see Chewbacca came with this bowcaster. I remember even as a kid having trouble getting his hand through the little stock there to get him to hold it. But now he has his bowcaster as well as a giant other gun. I know he took a gun from the stormtroopers on the Death Star, but... I don't think this was it. This looks, again, kind of like something man-at-arms might build up. I think the bowcaster's a little short, isn't it? A little small for his body compared to how it was in the movie, proportionate? No, I think it's about right. What I don't understand is why they've done the weapons, though, in this weird color. Because his bowcaster was a blackish color, and the other accessories are black, but these are kind of a strange color... Almost the same color as Luke's grappling hook weapon. Yeah, it's kind of a charcoal. Yeah, so I don't know why his blaster is that way and his bowcaster for that matter. And the bowcaster isn't that accurate. The balls on the end should be bigger. It shows, and it he should have the strap, but it's okay. I do like that they gave him the blue eyes, though. I mean, there's two famous sets of blue eyes in Hollywood. There's Sinatra and there's Chewbacca. That's very true. And then finally, Ben Kenobi. I have to say this is a huge improvement from the old figures because I always got a kick out of the fact that they made their legs into the tunics and the robe and it looks like they're wearing rock and pantsuits. Yeah, I kind of like how they have this over outfit and you can take that cloak off and he kind of looks like he does when he was sitting on the Millennium Falcon. Or he's just wearing a really, really long bib because he's a messy eater. <laughs> I mean... What this advertises, since he only comes with one weapon, is he comes with a lightsaber and a removable cloak so that you take it off and now you've got almost two different action figures. <laughs> it does allow him to pose. I have to say, I've had a lot of trouble standing these figures up. They keep falling off my television when I'm gone. And this figure, because of the cloak, you can kind of rock him back and he's pretty easy to stand. Well, you can use it kind of as a stabilizer. Yeah. Fortunately, they didn't make him that overly muscular, although I doubt Alec Guinness really had such well-defined leg muscles. Now you're insulting him. I don't know. Maybe he worked out a lot. I just don't think so. I don't know. Maybe he's the Stallone of his day. But of all the human characters, I think they got the face best on him. Maybe because they'd had a beard and it was a little bit easier, but that kind of looks like Alec Guinness. It kind of does because it's really tiny. And of course, he comes with a lightsaber as well. And depending on which stores you get, you may be able to find these different lengths of lightsabers. But then to the bad guys. 
Because I'm going to hold off on the last rebel. We got Darth Vader, and he too is a very muscular man. Now, I've been reading in that fan club magazine that David Prowse was a bodybuilder and a trainer, so I suppose he should be muscular, but he seems to be like 90s Arnold Schwarzenegger muscular instead of David Prowse 1970s muscular. There was just a different physique back then. There was. It wasn't as big and sculpted now as it was back then. I don't think that Darth Vader's as built as Han or Luke. And I kind of think that Darth Vader should be a lot bigger. Yeah, he should be quite a bit taller. David Prowse was a tall man. I just think I don't remember him having the giant biceps in the movie. You just don't think of Vader as imposing in that way. He's no Jean-Claude. I mean, honestly, all these figures, I expect, I am Hans, and I am Vader, and we are here to pump you up. <laughs> but like Obi-Wan, Vader only comes with one accessory, the lightsaber, so they've advertised his removable cloak. Now, I don't like this as much. I know you liked what they did with Obi-Wan, but I kind of miss the old vinyl capes they did, because this one... I like that it's sculpted, and I like that it's got some flow to it, and I like that I can kind of tripod stand him up, but when it comes off, he really looks weird. He looks ridiculous. I don't know why they'd say removable cloak is a feature. I don't know why you'd make that a selling point. It just means that three years from now, when all the kids have forgotten about these toys, you're just going to have a whole bunch of nudie Vaders running around. Nudie Vaders. That said, I mean, they did a great job with the helmet sculpt. I like that they painted all the different buttons on his chest. Oh, I think that looks tremendous. I think that his chest looks great. I think that the mask is okay. It's not great. I think it could be a little better. I kind of like it. And they did a good job with the quilting of his arms and legs. Yeah, his outfit was like quilted and padded, and it looked really good. And I think this looks really good. It, it gives that same kind of look. Not quite the feel of it, I imagine, but the biceps he's got, so. And then we get to the Stormtrooper, which is, of course, such a cool, cool figure and great character from the movie. Now, I remember growing up, I had one Stormtrooper, and my sister told me that I should have more. I'm thinking about going back to the store and buying one more, maybe two more. I might buy three Stormtroopers. Three seems like about the right number. I'm only going to buy one of each of the vehicles. Since they don't come with figures, that's fine. But for the figures, for Stormtroopers, if you're okay with it, I know it's a stretch on the budget. It's 10 extra dollars. I just, I think I'll go with three. You know, I think I'm okay with that because you're right. And it's not like you have to buy three of a bunch of other figures. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at how few they're doing. And the Stormtrooper looks pretty good. He's Stormtrooper-y. He's a bit thick like the rest of them. He's in the style that fits with the other figures they've made. It's like he's wearing a corset as well, though. He has a super, super tiny waist. But he does match Luke and Han, so, you know, they could wear this outfit when they storm the Death Star. That's right. I need to mail away, because I'm sure that's exactly what they did with that Fruit Loops figure, that Han Solo with removable helmet. I need to remember to mail away for that before it's too late, and I'll just never, ever see one again. I love that the Stormtrooper comes with two guns because, you know, you'd see him with the different weapons in the movies and things. And I can just imagine someday if I'm ever rich having just like a floor full of these troops and recreating that scene from Return of the Jedi with all of the Stormtroopers there greeting the Emperor when he comes. That would look really cool and really impressive. So I think he's okay. Now the last figure, I couldn't find him in stores. My friend Ed manages a KB Toys, and he checked, and he hasn't seen one of these in a while. It's Princess Leia. Finally, Ed was able to find a guy who was able to get one. So I hope you don't mind. I went and met Ed in a parking lot and bought this figure for $40. This sounds kind of shady. You met him in a parking lot? It sounds like a weed deal. <laughs> Did you look at the figure before you paid $40 for it? Yeah, that's kind of the irony, is it's the most I paid, and... It's the worst figure in the line, but I searched. Brad and I went to four different cities looking for Princess Leia, and I just think they're never going to ship her again. I will never see this figure again in my life. So if I paid $40 so I can sleep at night and I have this figure, that's nice. But 
Uh, I believe she has what they call a butterface. Yeah, this looks like it could be an extra from Congo. It's kind of got a simian impression going on here. Yeah, it kind of does. And honestly, they did some bad things with her outfit. I understand what they're trying to do and make it look like there's some flow to her outfit. But it made her look like she's just got a huge butt. Well, they didn't advertise this because she came with two weapons, the laser pistol. And they put it in quotes like it's laser <laughs> pistol and an assault rifle. So they didn't advertise the removable cape, which she does have. But I never realized her outfit actually had two capes. So you can take it all the way down. She's got like a skirt she's wearing and then a cape in addition to the skirt. Why did they mold her leg like that? Because they made her bow-legged. Probably so she stands of all the figures because of her tiny feet. She yeah. falls the most. They put holes in her feet. Maybe I need to find one of those old play sets. I still have all my old play sets. Maybe get out the old Death Star and see if the pegs fit. And what I find really funny is they sculpted a belt on her on the base body, and then when you put on the skirt, there's another belt that goes over the belt. That is very odd. I don't know how I feel about that all the removable clothing. But yeah, the face, it reminds me of the scene in Spaceballs where the stunt doubles come out. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a little ashamed that I paid this much, but at least I know I have this figure and I'll never find it again. So the weapons too, again, going back, I remember... Princess Leia figures, they all came with the same gun. And I had such a problem. My mom kept vacuuming up Leia gun after Leia gun because it would get lost in our shag carpeting. <laughs> shag carpeting. That'll never come back in style. <laughs> it's so hideous. And here, it's very similar. It's that really tiny gun. I guess women can't handle big guns. That's true. We can't. But it's got more definition. It's got like some ribbing at the end and... It's a much longer gun than the old one was. But yeah, overall, I think this is a good thing to have Star Wars figures again. I just hope they can keep making figures till the re-releases of the movies in about a year and a half. I'm really excited to see those, aren't you? Yeah, I'm sure that they're just going to make great movies even better. Yeah, I have and, such fond memories of watching those movies. And every fan's going to love them unanimously, I'm sure. So that's it for what we're finding in stores. But joining us now talking about what's going on at the comic book stores is Nathan Butler. Because for the past couple years, I've been picking up the Dark Empire comics. That story has come to a conclusion with Empire's End. And here to talk about it is Nathan. Hello, Star Wars Action News listeners. This is Nathan P. Butler with your Star Wars Continuity Report covering all things Dark Horse, Phantom, LucasArts, and more in the world of the official Star Wars saga. The continuity that began with Heir to the Empire is nearing its half-decade mark as we round out 1995. But for some, the jury is still out on whether this new saga can hold a candle to the great Marvel Comics Star Wars continuity that was dashed aside to make way for this new universe. If it makes you feel any better, just think of the Marvel stuff as legends, fun but fanciful stories that are important in the old days of Star Wars, just not real anymore, now that we have this officially sanctioned Lucasfilm continuation of the saga. In comic form, the Star Wars official continuity kicked off four years ago with the first issue of Tom Beach's Dark Empire, which sent Luke briefly to the dark side, saw Mon Calamari ravaged by the world devastators, and brought back Emperor Palpatine as a clone, the Emperor Reborn. It was controversial on all three notes, and set a darker tone six years after Return of the Jedi than was set in the Thrawn trilogy of a year earlier, or the Jedi Academy trilogy published last year that was set the very next year after Dark Empire. It was a significant six-issue miniseries, and it stood well on its own, which gave fans plenty of reason to be frustrated with Dark Horse when they did not leave well enough alone and brought us the weaker Dark Empire 2, released between last December and this May, followed by the Millennium Falcon-sized space slug turd that is Empire's End, which just concluded its mercifully brief two-issue run. With what is already being thought of as the Dark Empire cycle concluded, though, we have a chance to take stock here of just what impact this comic trilogy, and particularly Empire's End, has had on the official continuity that we've seen grow consistently since 1991. The first Dark Empire series took fans to a dark 
place. No pun intended. Coruscant began in the wake of an Imperial invasion. Luke learned that Palpatine had survived being hurled down the shaft on the Death Star 2 to live in a clone body that he then replaced with a new, younger one. Luke, like Ulick Keldroma in Dark Empire's interesting text entries that were later dramatized in Tales of the Jedi, would try to battle the dark side from within and fall himself before Leia could help draw him back to the light. It was heavy stuff, and one has to wonder how Luke's brush with darkness will affect him in the future. Barring some references to the matter in the Jedi Academy trilogy, it seems that Bantam is reluctant to deal with the issue to any large degree, focusing much more lately on Luke's love life and his desire to get it on with Callista, a girl he met as a ghost and who now inhabits the body of a woman who was once Luke's own student. No one ever said Star Wars relationships weren't dysfunctional as hell. As Dark Empire ended, though, it seemed that the Emperor was truly dead. Again. Sure, it was a little redundant, but the potential for where this takes Luke now cannot be overstated. Assuming any writers are brave enough to tackle the issue, and if nothing else, many fans now have Luke bowing to the Emperor, proclaiming, Yes, my father's destiny is my own, etched into their memory of great Star Wars moments alongside their favorite film scenes. When we left Leia in Dark Empire, she was pregnant with a child that we already knew, thanks to the haphazard jumping about the timeline that's already a staple of Star Wars publishing, would be Anakin Solo, whom we met as a baby in Jedi Search. It seemed, though, that much like this year's Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina, the goal in some Star Wars circles now is to take minute elements of the saga and turn them into their own stories. Whereas that anthology did so with the denizens of the cantina scene from A New Hope, Dark Horse appears to have decided that we needed to actually see the birth of Anakin Solo, as we saw the births of Jason and Jaina two years ago in The Last Command. So Dark Empire was bloated into two more unnecessary, less interesting miniseries that seemed designed to push, pun intended, Anakin Solo onto the stage through Palpatine's obsession with obtaining the child as a new host for his consciousness. All of a sudden, the Emperor Reborn was an even bigger schemer, initiating Operation Shadowhand, which brought us mostly useless and soon-forgotten Dark Jedi antagonists like Executor Cedrus. He now focused on Leia's unborn child with a single-minded evil to the point of needing a mustache to twirl as he schemes. Dark Empire 2 drew to a close without a satisfying face-to-face -face defeat of Palpatine, our heroes often feeling like side players to newcomers like Cam Solusar, who surely can't be fated to remain a central character for that long after this heavy-handed insertion here, and Leia finally giving birth to her third child with Han a child for whom she apparently never discussed a name with Han, unless we're to believe that she simply changed her mind and named him Anakin after already agreeing to the name with which Han greets his newest son, Han Solo Jr. Wow. Hopefully if Lando ever has a child, he won't take his old friend's lead and try to name his own son Lando Jr. Yeah, right. As if Lando will ever settle down with one woman long enough to get married and have a child of his own. With a brief vision of the Solo children as future Jedi Knights, Dark Empire 2 left us nodding about events we already knew would occur, thanks to things like Young Jedi Knights, and knowing the Emperor Reborn must be defeated again at some point, since he's not around in the novels set later in the saga. With stories jumping all around the timeline, though, we started to realize that it's not about what fate awaits our heroes, but how they get there that's the most interesting. Enter Empire's End. Dark Horse's attempt to give us a satisfactory conclusion to the Dark Empire era that was, frankly, concluded rather well already with Dark Empire number 6 three years ago. Could they pull it off? And what ramifications would emerge for the galaxy far, far away? There's a lot to be said of Empire's End, most of it negative. Ignoring the story for a moment, I have to ask, who thought it was a good idea to change up the art style for this miniseries? Cam Kennedy's stylized artwork served Dark Empire and Dark Empire 2 well, though he certainly had his detractors. Most notably, he was criticized for his overuse of blues, greens, reds, and letting colors wash over the artwork as his art often does. For Empire's End, though, it's as if Dark Horse decided to double down. You didn't like the color scheme? Let's see how you like that same color scheme applied to art that looks like someone ate Cam Kennedy's artwork and vomited it back up with some undigested mashed potatoes. I can imagine the Empire's End artist lounging in a chair next to his henchman, like Jack Nicholson's Joker, grumbling about those criticizing Kennedy's artwork. Stylized artist, terrorizes readers, wait till they get a load of me. 
The artwork takes all the punch out of what was supposed to be the final act in what began as a particularly dark Star Wars tale. Instead, it looks like we're watching Archie and Jughead battle the Empire. Art aside though, it's the story that matters most in terms of where the saga can build from here. The notion that Palpatine's clones are deteriorating and leaving him quite mad plays well on the idea of the mad clone Joris Sabaoth, or Jorus Sabaoth, in the Thrawn trilogy. While one would hate to see cloning become so commonplace in the saga as to make death somewhat meaningless, one has to wonder what this might entail if we were to ever see stories of the Clone Wars, in which it's assumed that the Jedi battled mad clones and perhaps even Mandalorian Super Commandos, if Marvel's take on the era is to be believed. Alas, we may never know, as Lucas has deemed the Clone Wars off-limits for current Star Wars writers. Still, the implications are fascinating. Perhaps cloning in Star Wars is a gateway to madness no matter who is cloned, suggesting a sort of punishment from the Force for trying to create life. On the whole, the story acts as a sort of clearing of the board for the next game, which is Kevin J. Anderson's already-released Jedi Academy trilogy. Most of the new heroic characters from the cycle, Empatajeos Brand, Jim and Ray Pisana, have been killed off in battling minions of the dark side. Palpatine is dead, again supposedly for good this time, and the Empire's newest super weapons of the week, the Galaxy Gun and, to a lesser extent, yet another Eclipse 2 Star Destroyer, have managed to not only destroy each other, but to destroy Biss, the setting for much of the story. All these things add up to a rather pat, quick two-issue ending that feels less like its own episode in a Dark Empire trilogy and more like an extended epilogue or the last episodes of a TV show that learned late in its season that it was being cancelled. On the other hand, the story does pose other interesting questions. Will Anakin Solo suffer any ill effects from the machinations of Palpatine and his brushes with the dark side while in the womb and later as a baby? Will Leia start to truly train as a Jedi? It doesn't seem that way from the beginning of the Corellian trilogy that we've already seen, but maybe, just maybe, there's something we're missing. Is Palpatine right from Empire's End when he says, Skywalker blood runs dark with the Force? I mean, surely they don't intend to turn one or more of the Solo children to the dark side or even into a Sith Lord, but that would seem to lean towards some of Mark Hamill's comments on a possible sequel trilogy back in the 80s. The story does leave Cam Solusar alive, which will allow other writers to use him in the future, though he isn't exactly the most compelling character to draw from. We also now have seen a modern era version of Tales of the Jedi locations like Osis and Onderon. So one can only hope that as Star Wars grows into different eras and generations, that we might see more of this sort of cross-era use of locations and concepts to make the saga feel less like just the life and times of the Skywalkers and Solos, and more like a true sprawling history that has only yet been hinted at in Tales of the Jedi and veiled references in other sources. Dark Horse has both wowed us and left us shaking our heads over these five years of their tenure with Star Wars. We now have great stories like Tales of the Jedi bringing us the kind of Jedi drama and falls from grace that we can only hope we'll see if Lucas ever gets around to making the prequel films he discussed back in the 80s. We have the interesting yet old news, classic Star Wars and classic Star Wars The Early Adventures, bringing us edited reprints of the LA Times newspaper strips. And we've had the childish ridiculousness of the new Jabba the Hutt one-shots and Dark Horse's take on droids. Granted, their take on droids is still leaps and bounds better than Marvel's Star Comics series that ended eight years ago, but that isn't saying much, kinda like being valedictorian of summer school. With Empire's End, we see one of the best, darkest concepts Dark Horse has brought to the saga watered down until it becomes redundant, ugly, and better left unread. One has to wonder, with such varying quality among its titles, if Dark Horse can ever hope to keep the Star Wars license for as long as Marvel did. Thank you, Nathan. It's just a shame now that they're making figures that we don't have any from those comics. I know, that'd be so cool, wouldn't it? And continuing Star Wars fiction, there's a new book out. It's by Kevin J. Anderson, who appears to be shepherding the Star Wars novels with his Jedi Academy trilogy, and now with this new book, Darksaber. I haven't read it yet. I'm guessing it's about an inverted lightsaber that's maybe black-bladed or something. But here to review it is Brock.
This is Brock for Star Wars Action News with a review of the new novel Darksaber by Kevin J. Anderson. Review copy courtesy of my mom and dad. Eight years after destroying the Death Star and defeating the Empire at the Battle of Endor, our heroes find themselves backfighting some familiar battles. Han and Leia are tracking down the Death Star plans as they learn the Huts are building a condensed version of the Death Star Super Laser, codenamed Darksaber, for their own dastardly plans. Luke is revisiting memorable planets and locations from his past in search for Obi-Wan Kenobi's spirit, so he may help his lady love Callista get back in touch with the Force. And little do our heroes know that what is remaining of the Empire is being corralled together to plan an all-out attack on the New Republic. Such are the plots of Darksaber. You know, earlier this year with the releases of the Carillion Trilogy and Children of the Jedi, I was beginning to think that this expanded universe, and that's what they're calling these books, the Star Wars Expanded Universe, was getting a little too complicated for folks not keeping up with the novels. There are 13 novels now, five this year alone, not to mention the myriad of Dark Horse comics and those young reader books. If they aren't careful, they're going to start to intimidate people with so many books on the shelves. Yet, one of the strengths of this latest novel, Darksaber by Kevin J. Anderson, is that it helps to straighten out some of the continuity of these novels jumping around in the timeline. Anderson does this by weaving in not only his own characters from his previous works, but characters from Timothy Zahn, and now Barbara Hambly's novel as well. And just as he showed us last year in his well-received Jedi Academy trilogy, Mr. Anderson knows how to add a Star Wars feel to the proceedings. Known characters, multiple concurrent storylines, a super weapon that needs to be destroyed, and just like with his last books, peppering in many locations and quotes from the movies to add familiarity. And because of this familiarity, the prose jumps right off the page. Such an easy book to take in. But this book's great strength is also this book's greatest weakness. Another super weapon? And what is the deal with Luke Skywalker's Star Wars Trilogy movie locations tour all around the galaxy? In this book alone, we go back to Jabba's Palace, Yavin 4 again, Ben Kenobi's house on Tatooine, Echo Base on Hoth, the asteroid field outside of Hoth, Dagobah. While this approach certainly gives a great shorthand to the reader as they already know these locations, and the in-story reason actually makes some sense, the more known locations we visit, the more dialogue from the movie we read, it just doesn't play as well this time around, so no soup for you. The most egregious example of this is not only having Luke Skywalker return to Echo Base on Hoth, but having him just happen to run into a one-armed Wampa. Now for the Wampa, I'm sure this is a day long remembered, being able to confront the man who maimed him when all he was doing was looking for his evening meal. But unfortunately, we don't read this scene from the Wampa's point of view. Now that would be something. Now we all know how the world can play that twist of fate game with us sometimes, like how when you're at the cafeteria and you keep running into that girl you've been avoiding that you drunkenly hooked up with early in the semester, you know? But a one-armed Wampa, all these years later? Could that be any more coincidental? I mean, that makes as much sense as the OJ verdict. Even though this book is called Darksaber, the central plotline of this novel is a continuation of Luke and Callista's love story from Children of the Jedi. As you may know if you heard my Children of the Jedi review earlier this year, that you can find in the archives, that novel wasn't one of my favorite entries so far. But this idea of continuing this Callista love story is a good one, as during the events of this book, we learn that she isn't completely cut off from the Force, just the light side of the Force, which opens up a dilemma for this character that could have wonderful ramifications for years to come. This could be the start of some wonderful plot lines and terrific character development for her and Luke. What if the love of Luke Skywalker's life was a Sith? I think they're setting up Callista for some major plot lines in the future. We are going to see a lot of her for sure. I just know it. Most of my favorite scenes in this book come courtesy of the non-movie characters. There's some great scenes with Bevel Lemelisk, the inventor of the Death Star Super Laser and the creative mind behind the Darksaber. He has some choice scenes with Durga the Hutt over the Darksaber project, and their Super Laser on a budget stuff is quite humorous. The team-up of Admiral Dalla from Anderson's Jedi Academy trilogy and Admiral Pelion from Zahn's Thrawn trilogy are solid as they combine their minds to try to unite the remains of the Empire, and how they do it is a chapter not to be missed, straight out of Goldfinger, if you permit me to use an outdated reference. 
the characterizations of Luke, Han, Leia, and 3PO are fine. Their characters are pretty much in line with their movie personas. And unfortunately, here is yet another book where Chewbacca gets the short shrift. Now I get it that it's hard to write for a character who doesn't speak basic, the other characters having to translate for him in their dialogue. But look, if these authors aren't going to use Chewbacca properly, or say just keep shipping him off to see his family and Kashyyyk every other book, they might as well just kill him off. Speaking of death, I was impressed by the number of deaths in this book. They are plentiful, and almost all of them are not your run-of-the-mill Star Wars deaths, really reminding you that there's some real consequences to these actions. There is a cold mass killing, someone gets fried using the Force, and a movie character gets killed, something that has never happened before in these Star Wars novels. These new Star Wars authors make up and kill off quite a few of their own characters, but here they finally take a previously established movie character and give him a final send-off in just a terrific scene. In case you want to be surprised, I won't tell you who it is, but here's a hint. This guy's comb-over would make Marv Albert's hairpiece jealous. Structurally, the book concludes well. The Callista Luke love story has enough closure, there's an unexpected ending to the space battle led by Wedge Antilles to take out the Darksaber, and the Imperial fleet is defeated by an unlikely hero. Anderson unquestionably sets up the character of Dorsky 81 well on a narrative front, and it's likely many readers will be affected by his sacrifice. For all my complaints about this book, I have to admit Darksaber goes down like a cool drink of water on a hot summer day. While the overly familiar settings and characterizations do get annoying at times, the friendly prose and the strong Star Wars tone make for a book many Star Wars fans and even casual fans can enjoy. Darksaber is very accessible to people who know the movies who may not normally read Star Wars books. I could easily see it be a local library's book of the month selection, like for a book club. And wouldn't that be awesome? Heck, all these Star Wars books are hitting the New York Times bestseller list, why not? And with all these Star Wars books coming out lately, maybe one day there could be a Star Wars book club, where you'd read nothing but Star Wars books with other Star Wars fans. Oh man, that'd be excellent. I would love to be a part of something like that. But I digress. For Star Wars Action News, this is Brock. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Brock. Well, that's our show. So we'll be back in a few weeks to talk about some more toys. I did spend the rest of my Christmas money. I picked up this dope new video game, Star Wars Rebel Assault 2 The Hidden Empire. So I'll be reviewing that next week. So you're playing video games for a few weeks now is what you're saying. Yeah. Forget studying. Who needs that? It's only finals. I know. So we'll talk to you later, Home Slice. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. So that was it, a bit of a blast from the past from my college days. That was kind of a fun trip down memory lane. It's yep. kind of like Jared's room on SNL. Yeah, only just to fill people in, I did pass my finals. Yay! And it's weird to look back on these figures because I know so many collectors our age who got back into collecting when these figures did come out. So many of us have been collecting for 20 consecutive years with these figures. Even though I even took a break for a period here and there, there's never been a year where I didn't. When I was unemployed in the early 2000s, I didn't get figures, but that was not for a full year. And so every year for 20 years, I've been buying action figures. And it's weird to think how the cost has gone up more than double in that time. And how now, though, it seems like Hasbro, they've taken the Kenner logo off the figures, but they're kind of going back to this. And we were excited for this in 95. Maybe not the muscular sculpts, but excited for the figures. And I don't remember too many people complaining. And yes, I was in Usenet use groups and not too many people were saying this needs mutant ninja turtle level articulation and things. That's kind of something where... In the 2000s, we all got spoiled with super articulated figures, but now that they're going back to this with the Rebels and the Saga Legends series and the Mission Series 2-packs, it's hard to believe how much like these figures, those figures are, including price. I mean, they're even back to $5 and back to five or six points of articulation. Yeah, that's kind of funny how we've gone back. It's just, I don't know. That was kind of fun to look at the old figures, though. Yeah, obviously... 
Today, the technology has come so far. The sculpts were much better than we could have ever even dreamed of having back when we recorded that show in 95. And now we just get crappy soft goods, which don't always match and are sewn poorly, instead of these nice molded plastics. What's funny to me, in a sad way, is how better the paint apps are in 1995 than what Hasbro has delivered in 2013 and 2014. I mean... The pupils of the eyes are all pretty much dead center on these figures. And Vader, the red is constrained to just one dot on the chest plate. Knowing now what I know, to think that they did an entire extra color just to put a red dot on his chest is an amazing level of detail that they were doing back then. And now I'm not sure that they would do a full extra color just to make the one dot red. Well, times have changed, too. These are petroleum products, and there's a lot going on in the world with petroleum and oil and everything right now. I also really thought in 95 that all R2s and 3PO's would be vac metalized. It's hard <laughs> to believe how rare the vac metalized figures have become these days. But yes, it is 20 years of modern figure collecting. And that is blowing my mind. I mean, that is truly a cause for celebration. And I mean, I hope that while everybody seems to be going back to the vintage figures these days for collecting, I think it's time to really start looking at these figures. And yeah, they never did go up in value the way people thought they would. I can still buy them by the bin at $1 to $2 a figure. Although sometimes if you're looking for a specific one, yeah, you do have to pay 7 or 8 the increase of the cost hasn't kept up with inflation, but... How's it feel to say you've been collecting them for 20 years, though? It just really feels accomplished. What's sad is, and I need to inventory, I'm still missing a couple of figures from the past 20 years. Just a few, but some of those last waves of figures, like that General's Wave and things, I've picked up a couple here or there, and I've finally been able to fill in all of the expanded universe figures they did, but... I think I'm missing like three figures. If I had all of them, that would really make me feel like I've spent a lot of money. We're off in many places where you could complete this collection. Yeah, I, I need to inventory and remember exactly which ones they are. I didn't keep good lists. If I could travel back in time and tell 1995 me what I now know, that's what I would tell him is two things. One, invest in Apple. I know it sounds stupid. <laughs> and two, keep a list. Inventory as you get it. Yeah. So that is our show. Please remember to mark your calendars for the live now playing podcast on February 17th at 9.30 p.m. Reviewing Kingsman, The Secret Service. If you've seen X-Men First Class or Kick-Ass, this director knows how to make a movie. I'm really, really excited to be seeing this. And I'll be seeing it in New York when we're there for Toy Fair. It's that time of the year again. Now, Toy Fair's a little weird this year. It starts on a Saturday instead of a Sunday. But we're still going to do the Hasbro in the afternoon. So it'll be an interesting day on Saturday to see all that stuff because we're going to be able to go at the convention center first thing in the morning. Yeah, that's coming shortly after our next show. We'll be back on February 9th with another show actually covering current news. And there will probably be quite a bit just leading up to Toy Fair. And then right on Valentine's Day, we will be covering Jack's Pacific, Lego, and Hasbro, a different roster for day one. And then on Sunday and Monday, all the rest at Toy Fair. And we'll have those shows out starting late Sunday or early Monday. So thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can be on the next episode of Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at SWActionNews.com. All materials submitted are subject to use on our show. We want your feedback on Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook and Twitter. The links to our social media sites are at SWActionNews.com. You can see more videos and reviews by subscribing to the Star Wars Action News YouTube channel. You can find the link from our homepage. 
If you enjoyed the show, please post about Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, or your social media network of choice. Or just tell a friend about the show. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star written review on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed is at SWActionNews.com. If you also enjoy Marvel Comics, you can hear Arnie and Marjorie talk about the toys and statues based on Marvel Comics characters on the Marvelicious Toys podcast at MarveliciousToys.com. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, edited, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Star Wars Action News podcast video enhancement by Andrew, Daryl, Josh, and Barrett. Star Wars Action News website designed by Jason. Photo editing by Jay. Graphic design by Chris. Associate produced and announcements by Brock. Segments hosted by Jerry, Jonathan, Brock, Nathan, and Steve. For more Star Wars collecting, please check out GalacticHunter.com, JediDefender.com, JediTempleArchives.com, and YakFace.com. And we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company, all rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Sub B, this is Arnie. Thanks for downloading us into the... I can't think. They're quite a jagged little pill to swallow, though, for action figures. Don't bring Alanis into this. I know you love her. She's a goddess. That album speaks to me. Yeah, he's almost like an inverted funnel that starts broad at the shoulders and then just gets narrower as it goes down. No, that's a funnel. I was wondering if you were a listener would call me out on that one. I mean, there's two famous sets of blue eyes in Hollywood. There's Sinatra and there's Chewbacca. That's very true. I know, that guy in Clueless had really pretty blue eyes. Eh, he'll never work again. Yeah, probably not. I mean, honestly, all these figures, I expect, I am Hans and I am Vader and we are here to pump you up. <laughs> oh, Arnie.